Wonderful. And if you've got a Bible, can you turn to Matthew chapter 7? It's on page 972 of my Bible. It will also be on the screen. And we're really coming in now to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If this is your first time here, what a great week to come. It's the second to last sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll finish it next week. But we're listening in as Jesus finishes this extraordinary teaching. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be part of his kingdom? What does it mean to live a life that shines with the brightness and the lightness of God to a world around us. What does that mean? That's what the Sermon on the Mount has been teaching us. And today we're coming into the second to last uh, section of this sermon. So let me read um, verses 21 to 23. It's only a short little section. Let me read this. These are the words of Jesus. He is our king. We want to sit and listen to his words. There is such wisdom and life in what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think we're going to need God's help this afternoon to understand this. So why don't we pray, and let's ask that God would help us to understand these words of Jesus. Father, please help us. Lord, we really, really do believe that Jesus is your precious son. We believe that he is the resurrection and the life. We believe that he is the king of this kingdom. We believe that he is the hope of this world. And therefore, these words are true and they are good and they are important for us. So please help us by your spirit to know, not just to know, but to know these words as a reality in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I um, kind of start preparing a part of the Bible and thinking about how we're going to look at it together, I'll sometimes look at other churches and other preachers and see what other people have done and see what other people have said and read some books And one sermon title for this passage um, caught my eye. This was the sermon title, The Most Terrifying Verses in the Bible. That was the sermon title. Um, Caught my eye. I wonder if you can sympathize with that. I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder, as those verses of Jesus were read, was anyone here sitting there going... Oh, terrific. I'm so glad I came to church today. You see, the reality is that we hear those words and they sound terrifying. And every single one of us who follows Jesus, surely the thought goes through our minds, what what if that's me? 
So what are we supposed to do with this? Okay, let me um, try and put some stuff in place, and then, and then we're going to build up to, to really trying to understand the heart of what Jesus is saying. Here's the first thing I, I, I want you to know, just as a kind of introductory comment. I do not believe that Jesus is trying to terrify you. I do not believe these are the most terrifying verses in the Bible. I do not believe that Jesus' intention is that if you are one of his followers, that you should live your life in fear that you might not be genuine. I do not believe that's what Jesus is saying. And the reason that I do not believe that is because of what Jesus says elsewhere. You see, if this was all we had, then I agree this is terrifying. If this is all we've got, then this becomes a mechanism and a weapon to control people through fear. That is often how people control others, right? You can control someone's behavior through fear. This happens a lot. This happens, politicians will do this. I want you to act in a certain way, so I will say terrifying things to you in order to control your behavior. Politicians do that. Bosses do that in the workplace. So you live under a constant threat of being sacked so that you will behave. Tragically, religious leaders have done this. Church leaders have done this. People who've spoken in the name of Jesus have done this and have sought to control people through fear. Jesus never does that. That is not what he's doing. And the reason that I know that is just listen, right? Listen to some of the things that he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. He says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. And he will care for you. Or he said, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Your Father in heaven. To be a Christian, to decide to follow Jesus, to put our hope in Jesus, means you become a child of God. He is your Father in heaven. And I do not want my children to live in fear of their status. What father wants their children to live in their fear of their status as children? What father in heaven would want us to live in fear of our status? And so what Jesus is doing is not controlling through fear. In fact, if just a few chapters later, Jesus will say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sound like someone who wants to control you through fear? So this is not about fear. But neither is this a sort of exclusivism that means we're supposed to go around going, well, we're in and everybody else is out. <laughs> You're not supposed to flip it the other way and sort of say, well, they're probably not real, and they're probably not genuine, and they're probably not genuine. Now, that's not what it's for either. Let me suggest what I think Jesus is doing here, and then we're going to unpack it and try and really see if that is what's happening. And I want you to see if that is truly what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying 
is that to follow him, to be a part of his kingdom, is a weighty, serious privilege. It is a weighty thing. It's not a trivial thing. It's not light. It's not like, on my phone, I've got a Morrison's loyalty card. I have shopped in the last two years, I've shopped in Morrison's once. And the reason I've got a Morrison's loyalty card is because they had some stake on special offer that if I had a loyalty card, I could get it cheaper. So I stood in the shop for about 20 minutes getting a loyalty card just so I could... My loyalty to Morrison's is very trivial. It's very light. It counts for nothing. I don't think about Morrison's. It doesn't impact my life in any way. I don't shop there. But there was a moment when it was convenient to me. There's a lightness, a triviality. And there are things in our lives which are trivial. I hate to say this to you, sport is a trivial thing. Some of us are really reeling from the impact of the rugby yesterday and the cricket today. It's like all, it doesn't matter if, you, if you're free from this, that's fine. But looks, that's a triviality, which sometimes we can turn into a weighty thing, but it's not weighty, it's trivial. It doesn't matter. And there's a danger when we turn trivialities into weighty things. But, oh my word, there's an even greater danger when we turn weighty things into trivialities. And what Jesus is saying in the heaviness of these words, and you felt the weightiness of these words, right? To be part of his kingdom is not a trivial thing. It's not a joke. It's not something you mess around with. It is something weighty and serious and good. That's what I want us to try and see. So we're going to try and see and feel some of this weightiness. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to go three, two, one, except the two and the one are the wrong way around. So we're going to go three, one, two. That made no sense. (laughs) It'll make sense. Right, there are three themes that we're going to see. And then we're going to see one shock, and then we're going to see two dangers. It's an irritating structure, I know, but it's the best I could manage. Because when we read these verses, what we need to see is that Jesus is not speaking out of nowhere. We've seen this over and over again in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus places himself as the fulfillment of God's story. There's a story that God has been building, a story of God and his world, the kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of this world. We've seen this story over and over again. Jesus said that that he'd come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything that had gone before, Jesus came to fulfill it. So you would expect over and over to find themes from what's gone before in what Jesus said. So if you're trying sometimes to read the Bible on your own, you're thinking, oh, I'm a bit stuck. Here's a good question to ask. What are the themes here that perhaps come up elsewhere? What feels like an important theme, maybe that's seen somewhere else in the Bible and it can help you to unpack it. Okay, here are three themes. I'll show you what I mean. The first one is the will. The will of God. 
In verse 21, Jesus refers to the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, what's he talking about? What does that mean? Well, this isn't a new idea. You see, the God who is in heaven has expressed his desire, his will, for how his people should live. We're not left guessing. He's told us. If you invite someone around for dinner, right? Suppose you have someone around for dinner. You normally say beforehand, is there anything you don't like? Because the worst thing in the world is to serve, you know, muscle um, paella, seafood paella, to someone like me. Because I go, that's not my will. I don't will that. I don't desire that. That's not what I want. But if I haven't told you that, then fair enough. How, was I, how were you supposed to know? You was cooking me something nice. It was, you didn't know. And when it comes to God, God has not left us guessing about what he wants. And so God, way back before Jesus came into the world, God called a people to be his very own. His people, he saved them out of slavery. They were his. And now he said, let me tell you what I want. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. And they were so good. God, this is what I want. I want you to have no other gods before me. I want to be your God. I want to be number one in your heart. No other gods before me. I don't want you to make an image of me. I want you to worship me as I truly am, not some man-made image of me. I want you to honor my name. I want you, my precious people, to carry my name into the world. I don't want you to trash my name, but to honor my name, all that I am. This is what I want, people. I want you to have one day a week when you rest from your normal work and you worship me. This is what I want for you people. I want you to have family lives where children honor their parents, where there's order and respect and goodness. I don't want you to kill each other. I don't want you to break the marriage vow and commit adultery. I don't want you to steal each other's property. I don't want you to lie to each other. I don't want you to want what each other have got. I want you to love each other. Love me and love each other. That's what I want. That's what I want. And God has always told us what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live, his will. And so this is the first big theme, the will of God expressed in the laws of God, the good, good commands, the instructions of God. Okay, here's a second theme that's picked up here. We're going to tile these together in a second. Do you notice the mention of the day? There's a day that's mentioned. Many will say to me on that day. What day? How do you know what day that is? Well, again, you say perhaps that's a theme that you get in the Bible. And oh, boy, it is. Over and over, God talks about a day, a day, a day. 
And the day is the day when God puts all things right, when God calls people to account. What is called the day of judgment or the day of the Lord. When God punishes those who are his enemies and saves those who are his people. And you get the day, the day, the day at various points through the story. So when God's people were slaves in Egypt and God rescued them, that was the day when God said, this is the day when I punish sin and I rescue my people. So God says, I've expressed my desires, and there will be a day when you will be judged on how you have obeyed my desire. And the third theme, which is helpful for us to see as we build this picture, is the theme of the exile. So if you listen to where Jesus says at the end, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is not a random statement from Jesus where he just suddenly goes all toddlerish and crosses his arms and goes, fine, away from me. This is absolutely the pattern that you see and the theme that you see over and over and again in the Bible. The theme of exile. That those who refuse to do the will of God, those who will not do what God says he wants, his good will, remember, When the day comes, they will be sent away from him. You see this pattern over and over again. So think of Adam and Eve, who were the first man and woman who refused to do what God said. They were sent away, away from me. And this is the pattern that you see. You see it again in the history of God's people. When they keep refusing to obey him, A day comes, and God sends them into exile. So here are these three themes. Can you see these three themes swirling around? All of them are themes that Jesus is pulling on now as he comes to this end of his sermon. Because the reality is that the first chunk of the Bible, the story of God's people, has been... A tragedy. God's people were entrusted with this great task to do his will, to carry his name, and to shine to the nations, and to be a blessing to the whole world. That was what they were for. And over and over again, they failed. And they did not love him. And instead of being a blessing to the nations... Instead, they failed him. So I want to show you now the one shock. We've seen the three themes. We're going to tie these together. Three themes, one shock. Here comes the shock. If we were listening to Jesus preach this, I think we'd have been very shocked. And the shock is this. Jesus says, it's me. It's me. So... Look again carefully what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Jesus is placing himself as the moment, the key. Jesus says, it's all about me and your response to me. That is supremely arrogant, unless it's true. How can Jesus claim this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? Jesus came to be the one the whole story was building up to. So Jesus came. Remember, God's people have failed. They were given this monumentally important task to be a blessing to the nations. They failed. Here comes Jesus. Jesus appears on the earth, and Jesus perfectly does the will of his Father. In every single moment of every single day, Jesus does what pleases his Father. Jesus obeys. All of the Ten Commandments, Jesus obeys. Jesus does the will of God. It's so beautiful. He comes to fulfill it. He comes to be it. He comes to be this extraordinary, and not just the Ten Commandments, but to even beyond, to go bigger. So it's not just about murder, but about anger. It's not just about adultery, but it's about lust. And all of these things you see in Jesus as Jesus perfectly does the will of his Father in heaven. So here is Jesus, the perfect one. And yet then a day comes. A day. A day of the Lord. A day of judgment. But a day of judgment that falls on Jesus. It's such a puzzling story. Because you've got disobedient God's people. Now you've got the obedient one. And the obedient one is going to experience the day of the Lord. And the whole of the story of Matthew is building up to this moment when Jesus is going to do what God's people in the Old Testament failed to do. Here is the obedient one, but now he is going to go to a cross and die. And at the cross, he is going to experience the judgment of God or the exile. So at the cross, he is sent away from his father. Because Jesus is the true people of God. He's the true Israel, the true Son of God who came into this world to bring blessing to the whole world. And so Jesus does the will of God. He experiences the day of the Lord at the cross and he is exiled. And he is exiled so that you could be welcomed in. He is exiled so that you can come to him and follow him, so that you can now be part of God's people, so that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why he came. So that you today could come to Jesus and say, please could I come into your kingdom? Please could I experience the blessedness of your kingdom? And Jesus says, yes, because I died for you. I was exiled for you so that you can be welcomed in. 
And that is why Jesus places himself as the key. He is the central point. He is the king of the kingdom. Okay, but we've still got to deal with this, okay? So we've seen the three themes. We've seen the one shock about how central Jesus places himself in these verses. But now we just need to um, wrap this up with two dangers. And now we need to feel the weight of what it means to be part of this kingdom. Here is the first danger. And that is that we want... Can we have it on the screen? That we want the privilege, but we don't want the responsibility. Okay? So have a look with me at verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here is the great tragedy of God's people in the Old Testament. God gave them this great law. He told them, this is how I want you to live. This is what pleases me. This is what makes me happy. This is what I want you to do. And they said, well, we want the privilege of being your people. We like being called God's people. That sounds good. But we don't really want the responsibility bit. We don't really want the responsibility of living out your will before the whole world. We don't really want that bit. And so God's people worshipped him. They enjoyed their privilege, but they didn't take the responsibility seriously. So they called on God, but they didn't bless the world. Here is one example of that. Just turn to Isaiah 58 if you've got it in front of you. We actually looked at this a few weeks ago when we talked about fasting. But I could show you this in lots and lots of places. Look how... um, Look at Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Listen to this. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Right, here's their rebellion. You ready? For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Doesn't sound bad. They seek God out. They seem eager to know his ways. That doesn't sound bad. They seem quite good. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. That sounds good. We want God to come near. We want your just decisions. Why have we fasted, they say? They're fasting. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? We want the privilege Here's what God says to them, listen. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all of your workers. You want the privilege, but you don't treat the world to bring blessing to it. You exploit it. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day 
for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Do you see what God's saying to them? You want the privilege. You want the worship. You want me to come near to you, but you don't bless others. You're treating me like Morrison's. God, we'd like some stuff from you. It's convenient if you could give us some stuff, but we don't really want the responsibility of actually caring for our world. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at in verse 21. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount where he said, this is the will of God. This is how you are to shine. You, my precious people, you, the people that I died for, that I've welcomed in, you are the light of the world. You're to shine to the whole world the beauty of God. You're to put on display God's great kingdom. You're to show the world the will of God. And Jesus says, but if all you do is call me Lord, Lord, If all you do is want stuff, if all you do is want the privileges, but you're not prepared to take the responsibility of living as kingdom people, then he says, you have no part in my kingdom. The people who belong to my kingdom are the people who say, I want to do the will of my Father. I want to do what pleases God. Now, let's face it, that's challenging, right? None of us perfectly do the will of God. All of us fail. But my question is, do you want to? Is it your heart's desire to live for Jesus in such a way that says, I don't want to trivialize him. I don't want to treat him as if he's some trivial light thing. I want to see the weightiness of this kingdom. This is what matters. It matters more than anything. This is what I give my life to. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. Someone who says, Father, Father, I love you. I want to do your will. I want to go the way that pleases you. And on the days when we mess up, we come to him and say, Father, I'm sorry, I've messed up. Please forgive me and please help me. That's what kingdom living looks like. But people who say, I just want a bit of stuff from God and treat God like he's some triviality, there is a strong warning here. Here's the second danger, and it's very similar to the first, but the second danger is power without relationship. People want power, but they don't want a relationship. So listen to what he says. Many will say to me on that day, So on the day, so there is still a day coming when we will stand before Jesus, the day of the Lord, the judgment day, when we will stand before Jesus. And Jesus says, many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Listen to what they're saying. It's in your name, Jesus, in your name, in your name. We did all of this in your name, Jesus. But Jesus said... No, what you wanted was power. 
You wanted the prestige. You wanted the status that comes with those things. But you never wanted me. You never wanted me. You talked about my name. But you used my name for your own glory. See, it's funny, isn't it, that all those things, prophesying and driving out demons and performing many miracles, they're all powerful things, right? (laughs) It's not, oh, Jesus, we washed lots of people's feet in your name. And Jesus, we cleaned all these toilets in your name. No, these are, these are people who are hungry for power. They want the status and the glory that comes with Jesus' name, but they don't want him. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I came and I died for you, and I love you, but you wanted power, not me. You wanted glory, not me. And then come those terrifying words. Away from me, you evildoers. Away from me. This is waiting. The kingdom of Jesus is a serious thing. The kingdom of Jesus is not a game that we play in order to gain a status for ourselves. If we turn the kingdom of Jesus into an opportunity for us to get a platform, for us to build a career, for us to make a name, for us to get impressive, for us, whatever it might be, we are playing a dangerous, dangerous game. Can I say, I think this applies primarily to leaders. I think Jesus is still talking about the false prophets from last week. This, this applies primary, primarily to leaders, and it terrifies me for those who claim in his name to do things but don't know him. But can I say it doesn't terrify me because I know Jesus. I'm not perfect. I fail in so many ways. But if you know him, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, can I say this? If the thought has gone through your mind this afternoon, what if that's me? That is one of the greatest evidences that it's not you. Because these people don't know and don't care. They arrogantly assume that they are all right with Jesus. They arrogantly assume, they rock up on the day of judgment and go, Jesus, look at me, you must be so pleased to help me, to see me after all the stuff I've done for you. There's an arrogance, there's no weight, it's trivial, it's a, it's a frothy triviality. Look at all I've done for you, Jesus, there was no weight. No weight. And so here is Jesus calling us as his kingdom people to say this is serious but it's a privilege you've been given. To be part of his kingdom is to be welcomed by Jesus. 
He died for you. Of course you've failed. We've all failed. But Jesus died for you so you could be welcomed in. And now he says to you, I want you to live my kingdom. I want you to do the will of my Father. I want you to live radically other-centered lives. I want you to do radical things. I want you to do justice. I want you to love the poor. I want you to go to the weakest. I want you to care for the downtrodden. I want you to tell the world that the light of the world has come. I want you to tell the world about my kingdom. I want you to be my kingdom in the world. I want you to advance my kingdom in the world. I want the world to see that Jesus is good because of us, his people. That's the weighty privilege that is ours because we belong to him. And if you are willing this afternoon to say to Jesus, Jesus, I feel weak and I feel frail, but I want to do it. I want that. Then you have nothing to be afraid of. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. So if you feel anything in your heart that's saying, Jesus, I want you, I want to go your way. Be encouraged this afternoon. But for those of us who are perhaps complacent, for those of us who want the privileges but don't really want the responsibility, for those of us who even perhaps are pursuing stuff for our own glory, for our own name, claiming to do it in his name, I think this warning is very important. This has really caused me to search my heart this week, to confess my sin, to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please let it be about you. Let it all be about you. Jesus says these words because he loves us. He says these words because his kingdom is serious. And to follow him is the greatest joy in all the world. We're going to respond together um, And I want to give us some space just to kind of think over this. Um, Where do you find yourself this afternoon as you listen to those words of Jesus? I hope you're not terrified. But I hope you feel the weight and that these words drive us back again to Jesus to say, Jesus, I want you. I want you. Why don't I lead us in prayer, and then we're going to sing, and we're going to share communion together, which is the most appropriate way to respond to this. Just in the quietness now, I'm going to ask you to, to say... If you're, I'm going to ask you to say something to Jesus. If you're not used to praying, this might be the first time you've ever prayed. Have a go. Who knows what might happen. Um, if you feel insecure, if you feel anxious, if you feel fearful, then I want you to say to Jesus, I feel scared. Please help me to know how much you love me. Help me to know that you died for me. I want you to Pray that if that's who you are this afternoon. If you feel disinterested and cold, and you feel like you might be someone who's just complacent, 
and taking Jesus for granted and wandering away from him, then I want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I feel cold and I feel complacent. Please wake me up. Please bring me back. Please forgive me. And if you're someone this afternoon who's never prayed, you've never come to Jesus at all, then perhaps even this afternoon you could say to Jesus in the quietness, Jesus, I want to be part of this weighty kingdom, this beautiful kingdom, where I get to live the will of God in this world. Why don't you say something in your heart to Jesus now? Heavenly Father, we thank you this afternoon that at the center of this passage stands Jesus, our beautiful, beautiful Jesus. That we get to say to you this afternoon, Lord, Lord, and to say it from hearts that feel weak, but Lord, we say it because we love you. Thank you that on that day when we meet you, you will say, I know you. Welcome home. Lord Jesus, we long for that day. We long for the day when we will see you and know you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.